I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. As we continue reading chronologically through the Gospels, today we'll be looking at passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. So today we're reading Matthew 21, verses 12 through 46, Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 11, down through chapter 12, verse 12, and Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 41, down through chapter 20, verse 19. Now, here's where we are with regard to Jesus' ministry. Jesus is in and around Jerusalem, and these events take place during the week that precedes his crucifixion. We begin with passages from Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 through 17, Mark chapter 11, verses 11 through 19, and Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 48. Matthew 21, 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. Now over to Mark, Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 11, the same account from Mark's perspective. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Now over to Luke, Luke chapter 19, verse 41. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Then he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, 
saying to them, It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him, and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. So these events take place within the week prior to his crucifixion. We find three different perspectives here from the gospel writers on the same series of incidents. Matthew is the briefest of the three accounts. He gives a brief overview of the fig tree incident, including the actions of both days involved into one short account, which he summarizes in verses 18 to 22, which we'll look at below in just a few moments. The sequence of events regarding the fig tree obviously appeals to Mark. So he gives the details of what exactly happened on the preceding day, the actual cursing of the tree in verses 12 through 14, leading up to the observation of the cursing in verses 20 to 26, which we'll look at that in a few moments as well. Luke, on the other hand, reports Jesus' lament and prophecy over Jerusalem before entering into the temple. Based upon the accounts of Mark and Luke, two incidents took place just prior to the entry into the temple the cursing of the fig tree being one of them, and the prophecy over Jerusalem concerning its destruction being the other. Are these actions by Jesus related, or are they to be taken as two unrelated activities on the same day prior to entering the temple? We'll speak to that issue in the next section of Scripture. Incidentally, let's take a closer look at Mark chapter 11, verses 13 and 14 to clear up a point of confusion. It says, And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat from you ever again, and his disciples heard it. The phrase there, for it was not the season for figs, well, that's caused a great deal of anguish among Bible scholars. Here's the simple reality. Figs were on the tree in March, and some were ripe enough to eat. However, it was not yet time for the spring harvest of figs. Now, if you're looking at the written notes of BibleTrack.org, I have a picture of a fig tree that was taken in Jerusalem in March of 2004, and you'll see that there are some figs there. If you want to see the whole cycle of uh, fig bearing on that fig tree in Jerusalem, then you can click on a link that I have there, and I'll show you different photos at different seasons. Meanwhile, back at the temple, it's deja vu all over again. Remember back in John chapter 2, verses 12 to 25, when Jesus tackled the corruption in the temple at that time? Well, this time is a little different. Jesus has just ridden into Jerusalem, and he has been identified by the people as the Messiah. The Jewish leaders are there, but powerless to do anything. Look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 15. It says, But when the chief priest and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Only Matthew reports that spontaneous outburst by the children and the healings in verse 14 that prompted it. This was just one more than the temple bigwigs could stand. They call upon Jesus to rebuke these children. But Jesus simply quotes Psalm 8-2 when he says this, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. With these words, Jesus has acknowledged to these Jewish leaders that he is indeed the promised Messiah. What had started out as a typical pre-Passover business day at the temple for these Jewish leaders, well, it ends up with an intolerable twist for them. 
Not only does Jesus disrupt the disgraceful selling of sacrifices by overturning their tables, but he's subsequently perceived by the little people there to have complete authority as the Messiah to have done so. All three accounts record the words of Jesus as he quotes here Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7. He does so in Matthew 21, 13 and Mark 11, 17 and Luke 19, 46. That's where Isaiah prophesied, Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. That prophecy of Isaiah is particularly interesting in that Isaiah 55 and the first eight verses of Isaiah 56, those verses deal with the fact that the temple will become the center of worship for Gentiles as well as Jews in the coming kingdom age. Only Mark adds this international flavor to this temple worship experience in his quote of Isaiah. One more point should be observed regarding this temple incident. This was no get-in-fast-and-get-out-fast action on Jesus' part. You'll notice from Mark's account in verse 16 that Jesus apparently stayed around long enough to enforce some reverence for the temple that day. Mark also points out in verse 19 that Jesus stayed in the city until evening had come after teaching the people. Obviously, this was Jesus' time to fulfill prophecy. In the next section of Scripture, we talk more about that barren fig tree as we read Matthew 21, verses 18 to 22, and Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 26. Matthew twenty one eighteen. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, But also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now, Mark's account of the same occasion in Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, Whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. While only Matthew and Mark deal with the victory incident, Matthew more briefly than Mark, as a matter of fact, Mark is very detailed in pointing out that the actual cursing took place prior to entering the temple. He does so in Mark chapter 11, verse 14. The observation of the results took place on the next day. Now, some deduct more implications from this incident than others. Is this a simple demonstration of the power of faith, or is it something more? With an observance only of the accounts by Matthew and Mark, one might be led to understand that this incident is just a lesson on faith. Certainly, one of the strongest declarations on the power of prayer 
is found in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. And that says, And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. As certainly as Jesus had caused the fig tree to wither, so shall our prayer life be empowered when faith is present. Now, many teachers today have linked the fig tree here to Israel. Jesus causes the fig tree to wither because it did not bear figs. Likewise, many teach that Jesus passes the same judgment on Israel because of their rejection of his Messiahship. To others, that may seem to be a significant overreaction to the incident. However, it should be pointed out that while Matthew and Mark are reporting the withering of the fig tree, Luke is reporting within the same time frame the Jesus citation concerning the blindness and rejection of the Messiah That's up in Luke chapter 19, verse 42, which we read a few moments ago. That's as he prophesies over the city of Jerusalem. Within this prophecy, he pronounces the total destruction of the temple, which took place later in 70 AD. While none of the gospel writers make the linkage here, it's undeniable that the cursing of the fig tree took place at nearly the same time as the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem. Perhaps they even took place within the same discourse. Well, maybe the fig tree incident is more than just a lesson on faith. You make the call. Incidentally, you see more when you read all the eyewitness accounts simultaneously, don't you? Let's add one more piece of evidence to the fig tree incident here. Jesus had given a temporary reprieve to a fig tree in his parable in Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. In that parable, Jesus seems to be comparing his appeal to Jerusalem with the nurturing of a fig tree. In that parable, if the fig tree did not bear fruit within the year, it was to be destroyed. Jesus specifically references three years in that parable, presumably the same length of time Jesus had been reaching out to Jerusalem. There are strong indications that the fig tree in Luke chapter 13 is a metaphor for Jerusalem or Israel, and that the dresser there is Jesus. That consideration seems to add strength to the notion here that the cursing of the fig tree just prior to the crucifixion has linkage and significance. The year of Luke chapter 13, verse 8, well, that year is up. If you'd like more information regarding the expectations that this fig tree should have had figs in March, then check out that link on the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today, and uh, you'll be able to get to see the full cycle of the figs on the fig tree in Jerusalem in 2004. And then Jesus gives a parable dismissing Jewish leadership in Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 32, Mark chapter 11, verses 27 to 33, and Luke chapter 20, verses 1 through 8. Matthew 21, verse 23. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing which, if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from, from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not, but afterward he regretted it and went. 
Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. Now from Mark's perspective in Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 27. Then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one question. Then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, they feared the people, for all counted John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said to Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus answered and said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now from Luke's perspective in Luke chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. Now it happened on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, that the chief priests and the scribes, together with the elders, confronted him, and spoke to him, saying, Tell us, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who is he who gave you this authority? But he answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. As Jesus enters into the temple to teach, a particularly troubled bunch of Jewish leaders approach him, asking by what authority he's doing these things. This Jesus visit had been very tough on them. As a matter of fact, Jesus rode into Jerusalem as royalty and was received that way. Then he reclaimed the integrity of the temple. Now he's teaching there. A day or two have passed, and Jesus is still there teaching the people openly. I guess they figure that somebody's got to do something. Questioning Jesus' authority in front of the people is a starting place. However, it's hard to go head-to-head -head with God incarnate. Jesus invokes the name of John the Baptist. Here's the deal on John. If Jesus is the Messiah, then John the Baptist must be the forerunner prophet of Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. And that person is Elijah. Every Jew knows you better keep your hands off Elijah. In other words, it's a trick question. If they make an admission that John the Baptist is indeed the prophet of Malachi, then the Messiahship of Jesus is the logical conclusion. Of course, they decline to answer that question by saying, we don't know. Hey, these people were pole-driven leaders. They preferred to be the stone-ers rather than the stone-ees. Look at what Luke says in Luke chapter 20, verse 6. They thought they might get stoned. They never liked John the Baptist, but they knew the people did regard him as a prophet, and he proclaimed himself to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Unfortunately for them, John the Baptist and Jesus arrived in the same package. 
the forerunner, John the Baptist, and the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Then Jesus gives a parable which cuts them to the quick, which only Matthew, by the way, reports. The obvious beneficiaries to the kingdom of God under the Messiah have turned out to be uninterested if Jesus turns out to be that Messiah. Jesus explains that this kingdom is not dependent upon their, these Jewish leaders, upon their acceptance. God will include people in the kingdom thought unworthy by these hypocritical Jewish leaders. And those Jewish leaders, well, they'll be excluded. In other words, these Jewish leaders aren't worthy, but the people they've harassed and belittled, they are worthy. Here's what makes this parable and the explanation by Jesus even more damaging to these Jewish leaders. Those marginalized people, people who'd been marginalized by the Jewish leaders, they're listening to this exchange between Jesus and these Messiah-rejecting hypocrites. So the common Jew who has received the message of the kingdom of God, he's likened to the son who first declined his father's request, but then later changed his mind and accepted. Whereas these Jewish leaders are likened to the son who said he would, but then he didn't. And then that's followed by the parable of the wicked husbandman. We read that in Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 to 46, Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, and Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 19. Matthew 21, 33. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance." So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? They said to him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. Now for Mark's account in Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine, vat, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent them another servant, and at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, They will respect my son. 
But those vine dressers said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Now Luke's account begins in Luke chapter 20, verse 9. Then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, Certainly not. Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priest and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. Well, Jesus, he seals the disapproval of these Jewish leaders against him, and that includes the Pharisees, by topping it off with this parable of the wicked husbandman. These Jewish leaders, they understand, in verse 45 we see, that they are the wicked husbandmen in this parable. They rejected the prophets, being the servants before, and they are rejecting God's own son, who's the heir in this parable. They're rejecting him now. He quotes Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23, when he says in verse 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That psalm is prophesying the rejection of the Messiah there. Yes, the kingdom of God, being the messianic rule, will not include these wicked Jewish leaders. But rather, it will include the common man instead. Well, they're steamed. But they're powerless to take Jesus by force because the people, well, they've acknowledged Jesus as a prophet. Specifically, the people believe that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. Moreover, by speaking this parable and then quoting Psalm 118, 22 and 23, Jesus is absolutely proclaiming that he is that promised Messiah, and all the people around heard that. The Jewish leaders, well, they're outraged. But all three accounts end with the observation that they feared the people and were thus powerless to take Jesus by force. Incidentally, in Matthew 21:43, we seem to catch a glimpse of the New Testament believers when Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you 
and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. The Greek word for nation there is ethnos. That's a word that's generally used to describe Gentiles. Today, God is manifested and glorified through those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. And that would be Gentiles and Jews alike. Now, is it just me, or does Matthew 21:45 strike you as a little funny? I mean, kind of humorous when it says, Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. Hey guys, what is it that he said that makes you think that he's talking about you? This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.